Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots that you can make today to get closer to the future of work. Today, our guest is Erin Winnick. She's the Associate Editor of the Future of Work at MIT Technology Review, and this episode is Work Minus People. Hi, Erin. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You are a prolific researcher, writer, reader about the future of work, about technology, so I know you have a lot of insight to share with us. Tell us a little bit about your role as the associate editor. What's your favorite part of that? Yeah, so my favorite thing about it is I write our newsletter called Clocking In, which is on the future of work, which writing a newsletter very frequently lets me really kind of go in depth to a lot of the news and research and reports that are coming out about it. So I feel healthy stay pretty connected to all the new developments that are coming out in AI and robotics and things like that. And I would definitely recommend for anyone uh, listening in to make sure you're on that list. It's a fantastic newsletter, and it really encourages me as I research these topics too. So it's something that you spend a lot of time on. I want to ask you a few questions about it. We talk a lot about the robots. We talk a lot about AI, a lot of things that are out there. From your vantage point, how much hype is there out there about robots taking over our jobs and there's going to be no jobs left? And how much of it is actually legitimate? What's your opinion? So I think it definitely walks right in the middle. So I think a lot of the headlines out there that, you know, whenever we do feature work coverage, it often skews too far towards the, oh my gosh, everyone worry, robots are taking our jobs. But I think that that is, it's still something that's legitimately happening. You know, there's definitely a lot of people out there that have already lost their jobs to robots. And, you know, as AI and things get more advanced, there, there definitely are more jobs that either are going to be more automated or automated completely. But I think it's more like the reason that we get this sense of overhype is that there's so much focus on the, you know, 70% of jobs are going to be lost to automation or things like that. And these like big overarching stats rather than kind of diving down into some more of the meat of it. Yeah. As I read it, I see two scenarios in the future. One is that, you know, we overhyped it. And in in 50 years, people are going to be reading this like, oh, wow, everyone just kind of made a big deal of it. Or we underhyped it. And in 50 years, we're going to be like, we should have been a lot more concerned about that. So it's hard to know exactly where we should stand. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things with honestly covering the future of work is, you know, we as much as we it's easier to look back and see, you know, you know, these are the jobs that were automated and this is how automation affected. It's a lot harder to look forward and predict, especially when we really don't know how much and how quickly AI and robotics and other technologies are going to advance. Exactly. Now, you mentioned both AI and robotics. A lot of times people talk about robots taking our jobs, AI is taking our jobs. Are those the same things or what's the difference between the two? And is there any overlap in them right now? Yeah, so there's definitely a difference between the two, but when the two operate together, that's when there's a lot of potential. So, you know, when we think about how the auto industry has been automated so far, a lot of it has been, you know, robots, dumb robots, robots that don't have a lot, um, can't adapt, can't do things differently if a different situation arises. They're built to do one specific process, and they do it very well, and they push, you know, cars down um, down the assembly line. But when we're talking about AI, there's a lot more potential for robots to become more flexible. Um, they can become better coworkers with humans as well if they can anticipate some things that their human partners are doing, which can be safer for humans. And they can adapt so that they can maybe pick up an item that they've never seen before. So we wouldn't have to directly program them. This is how you pick up a ball. This is how you pick up a shirt. You know, they can figure out what they what they need to do in the situation. So. There's, they definitely have been developing separately, both industries, but now they're increasingly coming together as both get more advanced. And that's where some of the increased potential is for future automation. 
Now, you do a lot of research and work into jobs of the future, not just the future of work. Are we going to lose jobs? So what are these new jobs that are being created? So share with us some of these positive new jobs you've seen open up as a result of this recent technology. Yeah, it's definitely not, you know, uh, just automating jobs and getting rid of some. Um, There's some really cool ones up there. Some that are, you know, something like, you know, a wind turbine technician or things like that that already exist and are growing substantially. And there's jobs like that I've met for people that are doing for the first time and we haven't really seen before. Uh, I met a really cool woman who her whole job was helping people organize their all their digital assets for after they die. So ranging from, you know, making sure all your passwords are in one place to if you're a photographer, making all your photo, sure, making sure all your photographs are preserved. Um, authors, making sure, you, you know, family members know what to do with your writing. If you don't want things published, if you want things published and that they're all in Google Docs. So it's really interesting to see almost like the progression of, you know, it's not just preserving our physical assets, but preserving our digital ones, too, and making sure that family members, you know, know how to stop your Blue Apron subscription box or something after you pass so it doesn't keep auto-charging. Then there's also ones that are more, you know, related to this robotics and AI. Uh, For AI to develop, it needs data, and humans are the ones who provide that data right now. So it's interesting to see there's jobs that are developing for people to help train these robots, whether there's um, a company called Kindred AI. It's pretty cool that is using human pilots to remotely pilot robots to do the tasks that the AI hasn't yet learned how to do. And then this is providing data for the robots to then uh, learn from and be able to then eventually do on their own. So although it's a job of the future, they're also automating themselves out of a job. So it's kind of an interesting um, an interesting paradox there. So we are creating jobs, but we don't know how long they will last in that area. Do you feel like this iteration is just going to keep going where we, we just try to stay one or two steps ahead of the curve? We create new jobs and then figure out how to automate those and at the same time try to take one step ahead. Is that just going to keep going on until we're, we're out of luck? <laughs> well, I think we're always going to keep going. You know, there's there's going to be always be some next iteration. I don't think this is going to, you know, be the end of all work. There are definitely some things that are very hard to automate or that even humans would prefer not to be automated at some point. You know, like there's a, a, a cafe out in San Francisco that opened that serves uh, coffee via robot. And they had to actually like slow it down because it was people didn't like it going so quick or, you know, people get afraid if their coffee gets served too quickly by a robot. So there's weird human preferences that play into this as well. Um, It depends on if you want your caretaker, you know, for your grandmother to be a robot or if you want that to be a human. So, you know, there's, there's some things out there that are still robot proof for us just because of societal preferences. Uh, And then there's things that humans are just more efficient at in general. Hey, your point going back about the digital assets that we have reminds me of a conversation I had earlier with someone about insurance and about how those in the auto insurance agency kind of see the the end of their term as autonomous vehicles come about and insurance rates will drop there. But the idea of, of digital insurance is something that obviously will be there to be able to manage your assets, to manage the things, to have somebody that can protect those things in the events that you can't access them anymore. It's a, it's a very interesting idea. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, we'll probably need people who are experts in that, which is a new area and potential jobs to be created as well. Well, great. You do a lot of reporting on the future of work. You see all these things about there. You see, we talked about hype before. Is there anything you've interacted with that genuinely scares you the most? You know, I think more than anything, it's that I don't think we're 
getting prepared as fast as we should be right now. Um, it's, it's not like that I'm necessarily scared of the robots taking over. It's more that I'm scared that it's going, it's going to happen and we're not going to have prepared appropriately for when more of these jobs get taken over. Um, I think, you know, we, we really have to set ourselves up for success, whether it's with policies that need to be put into place or if it's, um, developing things that ensure that AI isn't biased and, you know, making sure that all of these technologies are functioning in such a way that they really help society and not hurt it. I think seeing, you know, a lot of these, you know, facial recognition softwares come out that potentially have biases towards uh, against certain skin colors, or if there's hiring algorithms that are trained on past data that might have already had some bias put into it. I think what scares me the most is if we can't get that under control. And there's some cool people that are out there working on it now, but I think it's something that we really have to tackle. Um, if if these things are going to grow in the way that they are, it, it has to be a priority right now, part of making sure it's solved quickly and making sure that we continually pay attention to that as we move forward. Yeah, the bias question for me is is very important because I feel like in some ways, if AI jumps in and takes everything now, it's kind of like, our advancement as a species is kind of frozen for a while uh, until super intelligence comes in to, to take it to another level. But all of our biases, all of our prejudices are kind of set in, in code, so to speak, so that they just keep reiterating as it goes on. So that scares me a little. Yeah. And, and, you know, AI is just learning from us, you know, it's not doing anything else yet. It's not, it doesn't have the ability to think on its own. Uh, everything that we're feeding into it, if there's human bias in it, it's, it's going to stick around in the machines too. So we talked about what scares you. What what genuinely gets you the most excited? So I have a mechanical engineering background. So I, I have to say I definitely nerd out a lot of the robotic stuff. Um, I I really think that, you know, there's, although there's, you know, worries about jobs being automated, there's a lot of opportunity for increased productivity um, in business, you know, which we haven't necessarily seen in the productivity statistics yet. But I think as we continually go down the line, there's a lot of potential to um, make processes more efficient, um, make better products, make products cheaper, and things that'll really help society and be able to do that. Um, I personally am a huge fan of 3D printing as well, and I think that there's a lot of really interesting dynamics in the manufacturing space to be able to combine multiple of these different um, technologies, AI, robotics, and 3D printing. Um, People talk about these potentials for lights-out factories and stuff, um, down the line, which is a factory without humans uh, working in it. But I think that, you know, if we're able to actually get to that level, I think there's some cool opportunities to be able to apply um, human skills elsewhere and not on some of those more mundane processes. And I think that by pairing all those together, there's a lot of really interesting potential for the future. Tell us more about 3D printing. It's something that we're all aware of, but what are some of the interesting things that you've seen recently that our normal person may not be exposed to? Sure. I think one of the most exciting things is metal 3D printing is getting a lot better. Uh, The thing that people often still associate 3D printing with, there's these plastic printers that sit in a library, a makerspace, or you can go pick up at, you know, Staples or Barnes & Noble at this point. But, you know, the ones that are really making an impact are some of these, you know, steel, aluminum, these uh, high precision metal printers, which are slowly coming down in cost. Um, I think just last year, Mark Forge released the first metal printer under $100,000, which is still expensive, but that's a big step. 
Um, Desktop Metal is a really cool company that's based um, near me over at MIT that's making metal 3D printing a lot faster. Uh, which that's always been one of the biggest hurdles for 3D printing is that it takes a long time to make stuff with it. Uh, it's expensive, which like I said, those costs are coming down. Um, and it, a lot of these barriers are slowly kind of starting to fall down. And I think, you know, while the hype cycle for 3D printing, everyone got like really excited a few years back and then isn't paying attention to it as much anymore. I think over the next few years, we're really going to see, uh, it come into some of these other industries where the you know businesses are going to start seeing the case for okay this is actually something we can use in our final product uh, it's not just something for prototyping it's already coming into some higher end cars and jets and stuff I think there's even a company that's now using it to create mascara brushes so mm. um, we're it's starting to to enter into the workflow of more businesses which is pretty exciting now obviously you write for MIT Technology Review. When we talk about the future of work, we're always talking about technology. But what's one thing that's non-technical that you feel like we're not talking about enough that's going to affect the future of work? Uh, I think I definitely go back to um, policy. It is, you know, as unexciting as that sounds, there's a lot of roles that the the government is going to play in shaping what happens with the future of work. Um, whether there's you know obviously huge debates over universal basic income and things of that nature, but I think it also goes back to you know uh, work is becoming much more uh, remote and there's a little uh, rise in gig work and along with that you know people need a lot of help with making sure that they have benefits and things that have always been like in a traditional workplace and transitioning them over and I think there's a lot of potential for uh, government, whether it's very local or state governments to federal to really influence the future of work and help get us prepared. And if we don't do that, I think it's going to, again, send things down the wrong path. But I think over the next few years, we have a lot of potential to set ourselves up for success. Now, let's just assume just for fun that your job as an editor gets gets eaten up by AI. Someone learns how to write awesome headlines like you do and they codify it and you don't have a job anymore there. Where's the first place you're going to go to restart for work? <laughs> well, first I'll preface and say that there are already some things out there that have started to be able to automate certain aspects of journalism. Um, it's kind of interesting to look at, especially like sports stories and financials, things that um, you can just pull numbers and kind of create a story. So it has started. There's definitely, um, oh, I can't, you know, write the in-depth feature stories that you see, but some of those more um, run-of-the-mill ones, you can churn out with that. So um, for me, I think, the first place I go to restart for work is I really am focused on trying to maintain my skills outside of just writing. Um, I, like I said, mechanical engineering background, I still try to like keep up my other skills. So for me, the biggest thing is I be hoping is up until that point, I would have been being prepared and um, trying to keep up my other skills, whether it's 3D printing, which I, I also on the side run my own science fashion 3D printing company and like diversifying and, you know, making sure that my skill set isn't just relied on one thing. And I think that that's something that, you know, continuing education, just your own investment in yourself is crucial to be able to be ready for something like that uh, and to not be blindsided by it, really trying to be aware of the rest of what's going on in your industry and so hopefully I wouldn't just be tomorrow told I was being let go. But yes, I think that there's a lot of potential out there to be able to learn and keep yourself current in stuff that's 
close to what you do, but enough that you can stay on the cutting edge. You can always be involved in the technology related to what you do as well. All right. Now you just said science, fashion, 3D printing. You're going to need to go into that a little deeper. Yeah, sure. Um, So like I said, I had a mechanical engineering background. I started my own company while I was in college. It's called SciChic. Um, and we make science and engineering inspired jewelry using 3D printing primarily to A, be an education tool for kids to teach them about both new technologies like 3D printing and the science that's actually inspiring the designs and then metal 3D printed pieces to be able to um, uh, give women in STEM. And we also have actually guys that wear our stuff to um, a conversation starter that gets more conversations about science started in everyday life. Sounds like a lot of fun. And where did you get the idea from? Um, I always really liked fashion as well as 3D printing. Um, and when I took my first computer design class in college, I just got really inspired by it. And I really wanted to get experience, um, kind of in the, the business space, which talking about diversifying skills, um, uh, and I was just really inspired to do it. So I, it was, it was kind of like, instead of getting a double major in entrepreneurship, I started my own company and I learned probably just as much. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Well, Aaron, back up with us. Mm -hmm. Take a look. What does a world of work minus people look like in the future? You know, I think there's always going to be people around in some aspect, but I think there could be less people, especially in certain industries. And I think, you know, there's industries that have a lot of skills that can be more automatable, such as especially as robots get more dexterous, warehouse, um, you know, fulfillment, manufacturing. Some of those could be work completely minus people. And I think in those areas, there's going to be always someone around to be able to help supervise the robots. But in those areas, we can see efficiency gains. We can see a shift um, in business models because if there aren't, you know, all you're paying is robot maintenance fees, there's not going to be as many um, wages to pay out, but there'll be a higher initial investment. So I think that a lot of these businesses are going to be weighing back and forth, um, you know, as, as we move forward, whether they've reached a point where um, they it's it's time for them to invest in something like that. Um, and I think that right now you're also seeing a worker shortage um, out there in some industries, and this is helping prompt that conversation come up even a little more and possibly earlier than it might have for other industries because if people can't get talent, um, that's where the robots can come in to help fill that gap. But I will say, I think that, you know, work is not going to go away. People are always going to have that. I don't think that robots are going to take over all of our jobs. I think we're definitely going to have more robot coworkers in the future. And whether it's not robot, it's just a new AI software or something like that, tools that can help us do our work more efficiently. I, I think that that's going to be the biggest transition that we're going to see. Fantastic. I love it. Thanks, Aaron, so much for what you do uh, with your newsletter and at uh, Technology Review. Everyone, please take a look at it. Uh, Aaron, where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Winnick and uh, Instagram as well. And then if you wanted to check out my newsletter clocking in, uh, if you go to technologyreview.com and check out the newsletter section, you can sign up for that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. This has been Work Minus, and we really appreciate you on the show, Aaron. Yeah, thanks so much. 